Hi, everybody. So Le Leslie and I are very happy to be here. Um, uh, we have uh, seven children. Teresa is the second youngest. And it's great to be here with her and Nick as well. Um, I love the community conference. We, we have our community conference in the fall. We've had it. It was the last weekend of September. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time to relax, renew relationships, um, hear from the Lord, pray together, receive teaching. Um, I've always seen the community conference as, as a festival. Uh, in the Old Testament, that uh, they had these various festivals. You know, the Passover, I suppose, would be, would be one of the most somber ones. But they had feasts in the fall and so on. And I feel like this is a, this is a festival for us to come together, to love one another, to love the Lord. So it's great to be, um, it's great to be a part of that. Um, our connection to community here, um, we got connected early on because we had kids at Benedictine. So our daughter Hannah was at Benedictine. Uh, Abe ended up coming there via the University of Minnesota in Detroit. And then he came down to Benedictine. Luke was already down here, our son Luke, and then Teresa and Ruthie. So odd kind of situation that you have five kids going to, five of seven kids going to one college. Um, but that's what happened. And of course, we were very excited to know of you. And uh, so 10 years ago at, I think it was called Prairie Star, uh, I have this wonderful memory of being at a Life in the Spirit seminar, Fan into Flame. And, um, and at the end of the time, uh, Matt uh, kind of said, okay, we're going to all come over here to these couches. Remember this, Matt? <laughs> come over to these couches. We're going to talk about starting a community. So uh, it was like, okay, so that's how it, that's how it happens. <laughs> I didn't know. I wasn't around for the beginning of CCR, so uh, it was nice to be around for the beginning of this one. So, um, so that, was, that was amazing. That was amazing. And, and ever since that, um, that afternoon, um, uh, I, I, I've just had a special um, word for this community that you are such a gift to the church here, that, that it's not just about finding a good place for our kids to raise our kids. No, that's part of it. But what is the basic call? And the basic call is a call to the Lord, to holiness, and to live like the Lord lives, to be this picture, this living picture of the Trinity, of this union of persons, of love, of people coming together, of singles, of marrieds, of children, supporting one another, living a chaste, faithful, rich life. So there's opposition to that, as, as we all find out. So <clears throat> anyway, um, that, was, that was the first uh, time I was here before you were a community and when you began that, that adventure. 
And then I was also here for a men's retreat, which I really enjoyed um, uh, being a part of that a couple of years ago. And then uh, I was able to have the very, very high privilege of leading these 12 couples into the covenant commitment. Uh, and what was that uh, about two years ago or two and a half years ago? So uh, that's, that's our connection. I'd like to get into the material of, of uh, Luke 22 by recounting a, um, a trip that, that I took with three of my brothers, two of my brothers-in-law, and nine nephews. Okay, so 15 of us. Uh, two of those nine nephews were actually two of my sons, but there were nine nephews. And we went out to Rocky Mountain National Park, and, um, and the first thing that happened was we had this meal together in the evening, and we were all excited, and we were kind of from the farm and from the city. We didn't know anything about mountains. One of the guys was an Eagle Scout, but but we were ill-prepared for what was going on. Well, we found out early on when we got there that there was a park ranger that was missing. And so we were very kind of interested in that. Was it, was it a bear or whatever? Well, we found out at the end of our trip that he had, he had died. He had fallen and died. So that, that was looming kind of in the, in the background a little bit. So the next morning... Um, if you want to bring up this first picture. The next morning, we got a little bit delayed because our nephews got excited about this jumping off this rock into this pool. So we were all cheering, and, and it was like, what could be better than this? You know, we're together as a family. We're, we're having fun. And so, um, and so we d got delayed. As we, as we started our hike, we were going to go up 4,000 feet on these switchbacks, and we got up to this height, and then we were going to hike six miles over Flat Top. And during the time we were on Flat Top Mountain, we were going to go over the Continental Divide. I don't know if anybody has ever done this hike, but, um, but it's the little sign as we started going up the switchbacks that said, if you are starting this hike before or after 11 o'clock in the morning, turn back. And we thought, oh, wow, I wonder what that, what that means. And it was sunny, it was a beautiful day, so off we went, okay? So we got about halfway across. Okay, you can go to the switchbacks. We got about, about halfway across um, uh, flat top, and we, um, there was looming clouds, and they looked nasty. And so we kind of got together and met and said, what do we do? Let's move. Let's move faster. Let's get across this flat top. So then we had lightning, thunder, ice, and snow, and we, we were not dressed for this. So we had some thin ponchos we put on. And so we get to the end and we start going down 
the, the switchbacks going down about 3,000 feet and all the water's pooling in the trail and we're slipping and sliding and my brother is, Norm is in front of me and he slips down and he, his feet, his legs go off the edge and there's, there's a 100 to 200 foot drop right there. And so I grab him, we get him back up, we get down the, the mountain. So, <clears throat> so let's 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 just show the nephews. That's flat top, and there's the there's the there's the the guys, and and I, and I just want to read read what one of these guys said. He said, "Looking back, I feel uh, some were young enough that I don't think we realized the predicament we were in." We were experiencing new things and having fun along for the ride. But not having all the experiences of life at that time and being naive helped us to live more fully in the moment on the trip. For example, I don't remember at all being scared when we were hiking for two hours in the dark and a hailstorm or the lightning on Flattop Mountain or when my dad was shaking in hypothermia during the night in the tent. <laughs> All right, thank you. You can cut that. So, Luke 22, I, th I think we're going to see some comparisons here because all of us have things in life that happen and we're not prepared for them. So, the topic tonight is on the New Covenant. And the setting is the upper room. The upper room is probably not Michelangelo's picture of the Last Supper. There's probably not a big long table. There's probably couches. People are probably nearer to the floor. But there's an upper room and, and the scene includes the 12 disciples and Jesus celebrating the Passover meal. And all that transpired in that, in that wonderful and fateful evening. This includes deep brotherhood. Jesus said, I've longed to eat this meal with you. And then the words of institution, the new covenant, this is my body to the, there is one here at the table who will betray me. And then the discussion of who is the greatest. What a night. This is the central and pivotal event of human history. It's the event by which mankind is freed from the bondage of sin, corruption, death, futility, and the evil one. And it didn't take place on a mountaintop. It didn't take place in a, in a valley. It took place in a dark hour, an hour fraught with tension and pressure and emotion. Jesus tells them he's going to suffer and die. And he further tells them that the hand of him who is going to be betray me is here at the table.
and right in their very midst, a betrayer. What would you do? I mean, think about this. The covenant is, is given, and then really all hell breaks loose. And I think one of the things that we forget is that when we follow Christ, it's amazing, but it's also filled with issues and tension and difficult decisions. We're unprepared for the trip. <laughs> We're unprepared for the trip. I'd like to talk just a few minutes about some weaknesses of the disciples. As, as they're, here they are that, that night in this room, the upper room. This might be the same room that they were in when the Holy Spirit descended the upper room. Number one, the disciples were self-seeking. They were ambitious, self-ambitious. They were striving for position, for prominence. They argued about who was going to be the greatest. Who was the closest to Jesus? a comparative spirit. Where am I in relationship with the rest of these knuckleheads? What's my place? How do I stack up? This was all self-seeking. We've given a lot to follow you. What are we going to get? What's my place going to be? Second, they were naive. Certainly on the camping trip, we were naive. <clears throat> they didn't have an accurate perception of what was going on. They became exposed. Their na naivete became exposed. And when some kind of pressure comes, or when we get outside of our comfort zone, we become disorientated. I was very naive at 24 years old when I married Leslie. I thought, man, I want to be with her. She is amazing. I just... Once we get married and we can be together, we're just going to be together, and life is going to just unfold. It's nothing can conquer us. That was true with God's help, but we were in for being exposed. The selfishness within me was exposed my insecurity about her love for me was exposed. I was always around, and I disrupted her desire to be, to think through things and to process things and just to be alone. I was there. 
when I was a, when I was a little boy, I remember when mom and dad would go somewhere, they'd be out. I couldn't sleep. We had a long driveway, and when I heard the car turn from, we lived out in the farm. When I heard the car come down the hill and even turn into the driveway and slow down, I was sleeping. I was sleeping before the garage door shut. It was a detached garage. I was sleeping before they came in the house. I feared, especially, my dad dying. At 86, year old, 86 years old, when my dad died, I knew it was the right time. It, it just, this was it. His life was done. I, my life was more ushered onto the stage. He moved on to be with the Lord. So there are some times when, when things happen and the Lord just over time works things out. So the disciples were self-seeking. They were naive. There was betrayal. Now you, now you might think betrayal. Man, oh man, betrayal. Have I ever been betrayed? Have I betrayed anyone? <laughs> you know, it seems like a severe situation, right? But let, let me move the, remove the mist a little bit and the fog. Betrayal is more common than we might think. Betraying a confidence, a promise, a betrayal of trust, to betray a relationship. I remember once the, a couple of us leaders in a district were trying to figure out who could lead this small group. You guys know about all of this. You're in small groups. And we were discussing, you know, how, how this might work if this particular person could lead the small group. And I, I happened to be against it. Okay? I didn't think that they were qualified to lead a small group. Well, lo and behold, our discussion went out in an email, and of course, <laughs> that person was copied. Okay? So, so... I needed to do something. <laughs> I couldn't just let that go. So there are times when, when what we say, we think, well, that's not a betrayal. But if they were standing right in front of you, it would be a betrayal, and it was. So there was... There was a weakness of betrayal. There was a lack of self-knowledge in the disciples. How well do we know ourselves? How much insight do we have in, in, how, in why we do what we do? Why we think what we think? For example, why do I love listening to baseball games? I mean, I could listen to, you know, 162 baseball games. 
I don't, but I could. Why? I don't really know exactly. I get drawn into that drama that, you know, and then I go to bed and I think, I wasted two and a half, three, <laughs> however long they go. <clears throat> so we, so, so the disciples had a lack of self-knowledge and it's probably most poignant in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus looked at, at Peter and said, you will deny me. And he said, no, all of them will deny you. I will not deny you. But he did. He did. The disciples had wrong expectations. Uh, things went really well. They were drawn crowds. They were feeding people. People were waving banners, shouting Hosanna. This was cool. I like this. And some of them might have even felt like they were going <clears throat> to be the next rulers of Israel. Who knows what they thought. But at a certain point, things started to fall away. And these were kind of the external factors. All of these first ones were internal. And now we have other factors, like people became disillusioned with the course of Jesus' ministry. He hadn't satisfied the followers of John. He was soft on the Romans. He didn't rally people to take up arms and fight, so the zealots were upset at him. And then we all know about the Jewish leaders who pretty early on wanted to kill him. And when Judas came to them that night, Judas stepped out into the darkness alone. Judas stepped out into the darkness alone, and the chief priests, when he went to them, when Judas went to them, they were delighted, delighted. They wanted to kill him. So at the beginning, it was very promising. Thousands were coming, healings, and then things started to turn. There's another factor that's at work here on this night of nights, this night when the covenant was made. That's the enemy himself. The central issue of all time was being worked out. The enemy knew something. Is this maybe the prophesied one who is from the woman back then that is going to step on my head? Could Jesus be that seed of a prophecy spoken so long ago. In any event, Jesus needed to be defeated, to be squashed. And so there was this very deep 
good and evil drama going on. What could we say about the covenant, the covenant that Jesus made? I'd like to go back to Genesis and Abraham and look at covenant in Genesis 15. So God had been talking to Abraham and had led him from Mesopotamia out over and then down into Palestine. And God said, I want to make you a nation, numerous, to show, to show my face on the earth. And so Abraham, as was the custom, he, he halved animals. And he put one on one side and one on the other side, but the birds he did not have, okay? A heifer a goat, a sheep, and he have them. And the situation was that he and God were going to walk through this. And this is not a contract. This is not about an agreement for goods and services. It's, it's not a commitment. It's not a, about a promise. It's about the binding of my life with your life. It's the binding of lives together. So here's the animals, and the, bir the birds of prey, carrion birds, are beginning to come down and swoop down, and they want to get the meat, right? And Abraham is fighting off the buzzards. Okay, do you, can you see this? Maybe there's some fire lit somewhere, there's some smoke up there, and Abraham's fighting off the birds, and pretty soon Abraham falls into a trance. And when he's in a trance, God comes, and God walks through the animals. And what God did is he said, in his love for Abraham, I will make the covenant with you. And if the covenant breaks, so be it for me to be like those animals. And that was a prefiguring of Calvary when God sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. So the covenant originates with God, and it's the binding of lives together. The covenant was made for conflict. Some of you are married, you know, on your wedding day. You didn't need the covenant then. <laughs> you know, you were young, you were beautiful and handsome, healthy, excited, deeply emotionally in love. Praise the Lord. But you made the covenant your fathers and mothers and their fathers and mothers and way back when originating with God decided to make this a covenant. Why? For the time when life is tough. So covenants are made for a situation of conflict. 
The covenant enabled the disciples to make it through to Easter morning. And interesting, on, on Sunday morning, on Sunday evening, I think the scriptures say, they were all together in one place. I, th I think that's a miracle. Given where they were on Friday night, arguing about who's the greatest, jockeying for position, denial, betrayal, and, and, the, and the, the conflict helps us to get at our weaknesses. So the covenant originates with God. The covenant is made for a situation of conflict. And then there were some basic things that Jesus taught them. To get through the, the, the times of difficulty, we need forgiveness. Forgiveness from the heart. He told them they all would stumble. They would abandon him. They would fall. They would run. They would scatter. But this is not the last word. Failure will come, it will disappoint, it will occur, but it's not the last word. Forgiveness follows failure. So he taught them about forgiveness. He also taught them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. And it's interesting, even even at the time when he was going to leave them, he said, wait here in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come down upon you and will give you power. So he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Wait on me. And sometimes what I understand waiting to be is just not sinning, not doing anything stupid. <laughs> Just wait. Wait for God to work. A third key element, he said, love one another. Love one another. And last, unity. He prayed that they would be one. In the, in the community in St. Paul in the late 80s, uh, I was distraught by division, difficulty, and all we could do at that time was pray and wait and live 
the covenant. It was our covenantal bonds with one another that kept us together. And we learned a lot. And I think a lot of a lot of those weaknesses that we all had and have, as we went through those difficulties, the carnality was knocked, at least some of it, <laughs> was knocked out, was dislodged, because we realized, I can't do this. I cannot do this. It tests our metal, our will. It tests our talk, and it helps us in our walk. There, there are two things, there are three things, there are three things that I think are most important to live a faithful covenant life. Three things. I'm not going to talk about one of them. One of them is, is mission. I'm not going to talk about mission. But mission is vital to keep the covenant. Go out to all the world and preach the good news. But the other two I am going to talk about, uh, Leslie and I are going to talk about them tomorrow. Uh, how do we keep the covenant? By living a holy life. And we're going to talk about that. And how do we live the covenant? By joining our lives together. Those three things, a holy life, joining our lives together, and mission are the keys to living a covenant life. Praise the Lord. So we'll, we'll pick this up uh, tomorrow evening.